and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast, episode 473. You know, man, I want to tell people what we're going to talk about tonight. This time, actually, I'm ready to tell them. And I, I, I want to pitch an idea to you, folks. Something you may be familiar with. The idea is there's a group of ancient and powerful beings that coalesce a portion of their power for the purposes of protecting life wherever the need is across the universe. And that power isn't to be used for personal gain, but rather the betterment of the world around you. And it won't always be with you. And eventually it's going to find another bearer. But once you're chosen, you have access to an innate understanding of the source of this power and its capabilities and its purpose. You can access information obtained from those who've wielded this power before you. You're chosen when the need is the greatest and you're the right sentient being in the area to tackle that problem. Mark, what am I describing? The Unipower, Chad. (laughs) That's right. We're not talking about a Green Lantern ring forged by Guardians of the Universe. We're talking about the Unipower in Marvel Comics because tonight we're talking about Captain Universe. One of your favorites, Chad. Uh, interesting. You know, this is one. This is going to fall, I guess, under our kind of famous firsts. I guess that's what we're calling the series. Maybe I don't even know that we need to serialize it. But if we, if it had a name, that's probably what we're doing. Seri- uh, famous firsts. It can be famous firsts. I was thinking it could be also a spotlight on. But either way, we can determine. We can determine what the official title will be. But either way, yes, I think no matter what, this could definitely fall under our famous firsts banner, where we talk about important issues that. They may not just be important to us, but they usually are. But sometimes they actually have big ramifications going forward. No, no. Yeah, for sure. And like not only that, guys, like so we've done this in the past to where uh, the first one we did, we were talking uh, about the Nexus and Magnus, the robot fighter crossover that I one of the first comics I had as as a kid. And then in that same episode, we talked about one of Mark's first comics with uh, with uh, Werewolf by Night, two issues of that. And then the next time we did it, talked a bit about um, freaking uh, the Defenders. That was your pick. And then my pick was Marvel Chillers with Madra the Mystic. This time, however, we're talking about something Mark and I both have experience with in different ways, but have come away liking slash enjoying the character. Yes, yeah, so that does kind of make it more unique. And it it is one of the it's a good message for the world, the fact that we're both experiencing things in different times for different reasons in different ways, but we both but we both have appreciation and fondness for 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 said activity or event that we were fond of. 
So we're going to talk about two specific issues tonight in terms of what we're going to recap and review. Uh, we're going to talk about another issue in a more general sense. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but uh, although one of the issues we're going to be talking about is the origin of Captain Universe, do we want to give maybe, Mark, do you want to give people maybe like a brief kind of introduction to who the character is? Because we, we get some information, obviously, in the origin. But like knowing what we know about the character now, who who slash what is Captain Universe? not an easy question chad but it, it does it, in a way the you're right in a way both i think issue the, the issue of the micronauts does kind of cover this but essentially and yes they've expanded the lore and they kind of went off in different directions slightly as time went by and it retconned things as we know and added more layers but originally the concept was the unipower was created by the enigma force which is essentially it's almost like its name. It's almost like the version of what the force was in the Micronauts universe, except they were living sentient beings. The time travelers were the embodiment of the Enigma force. And they created kept the Captain Universe power, supposedly. And of course, they changed it. But as far as we were as readers, Marvel comic fans, the Captain Universe power was created or was brought into existence because of an external threat on Earth from Baron Karza who was the ruler of Homeworld and the dictator of the microverse. And he was trying to, he had crossed over, as we'll talk about, onto Earth, an existential threat of getting out of control and taking over Earth so that they create, found a champion that they could give a portion of their power to to deal with this threat. And that created the ongoing concept of when there was serious trouble somewhere and a lot of this had to do with Earth, obviously, because that's where we're based. And we see this a lot when there was a real existential threat that they would allow this power to go to a worthy champion at the time to deal to deal with this threat, whatever it happened to be. For sure. Uh, so speaking of, we're going to be talking about two two issues. Mark already mentioned Micronauts number eight. Uh, and then I will be talking about Marvel Spotlight Volume Two, number nine. Uh, but Mark, I will mute myself so you can take it away with, uh, with my, uh, Micronauts. So with the Micronauts, I'm going, I'm going to give a very super brief, and I think I'll just read from the title, you know, the above title blurb, how they used to always have them on Marvel comics with the Stanley presents just to give an, a basic background for people, what this comic book was about. As I go into the story, I'll elaborate a little bit more. And then obviously I think Chad will probably have some questions and, uh, and maybe we can elaborate when we're discussing the issue, but I don't want to bog everybody down in too much prologue. So the cover from Micronauts number eight, which was, you know, which is enter captain universe, which shows Baron cars at human size, normal hovering over the smaller Micronauts. And we'll get an explanation for that. So the little intro is space glider, marionette, a Croyer, bug, microtron and biotron. They came from inner space, six champions sworn to free their beloved microverse from the tyrannical, tyrannical rule of the evil Baron Karza. So this issue is titled Earth Wars. Bill Mantlow and Michael Golden were the writers, storytellers and artists on this. Bob McLeod, the embellisher, I like that. And let's see, and let's see, Diane Albers, Bob Sharon, Milgram and Jim Shooter was the editor in chief actually on this issue that old the that classic jim shooter so we begin with uh we're at the we're in florida we're at 
I almost said the body banks, but that's something else. We're at the the outside Cape Canaveral, I think, where it's the Prometheus pit, is that we're going we're gonna to find this out. And all these, the army is being attacked, and this kid who is Steve Coffin, and that's relevant later on, and especially as we get to Chad's issue, he's running in trying to tell you know the, the military give them a, a primer on what's going on and and how you know the, he's the, he was there with the Micronauts too. And how they're pretty much, you know, Baron Car he's giving the whole Baron Carza's here and he's attacking because what has happened is that Baron Carza has come through, I believe, the, if I remember correctly, the Prometheus pit. He was able to like merge himself genetically with the body of Philip Prometheus, who was the scientist who created who created this gateway that he wanted to test into the microverse. And we didn't know at the time, but Prometheus is a cyborg because of something that horrible that happened to him. So when he but so when they fell into the Prometheus pit, I think that's when Baron Carza was able to merge with him. And that's why Baron Carza is human size. And he's using and he's using these robots uh, to attack all the guards and all, all the military outside Cape Canaveral, because his plan is to basically now, hey, he's on Earth. So, you know, he's going to he's going to conquer Earth. The Micronauts really can't do much about it because they're super small and he's not. So they're they're at a clear advantage, disadvantage, I should say, and cars is at a clear advantage. The stuff about Force Commander is relevant to the story, but the storyline, but not so much our recap. Force Commander is the body armor of technically of Commander Ran, who was Space Glider, his parents who were killed by Baron Cars. Cars is like Palpatine, essentially, in this. And he was the chief scientist on Homeworld and Cars and Commander Rand got sent off to do exploration with Biotron for like a thousand years and cryogenic chambers and everything else. And during the time he was gone, shortly thereafter, Karza off his parents, took over. And because of all his experimenting in the body banks, he's pretty much he's alive, but he's not really human. And Force Commander was, I guess, the armor that I think it was Dallin Rand, uh, Commander Rand's father used to wear and now who has been for created. Of, he's going to take up the mantle of Force Commander to try to rally the rebellion that's taking place to try to stop him and that's pretty much the force commander you know the force commander aspect of it meanwhile Raykoff and steve's father who had fallen through the prometheus pit uh with uh philip prometheus trying to protect his son that the time travelers come to him and they pretty much tell him that uh, like the blood of heroes runs through your veins. Ray Coffin was an astronaut. So it's kind of referring to that. And he's saying that basically we need to, you know, we need a champion because of the threat and Ray's willing to do it. He just doesn't know what he has to do. And the time traveler just says, Hey, relax, trust me, close your eyes and dream. And by the time you reawaken earth shall have her hero. We cut back. Baron Cars is doing Baron Carza like things and just in wreaking havoc. The Micronauts keep trying to stop him, but they, they're failing miserably because of the size and power differential. And at this point, all of a sudden, Steve Coffin arrives, but he arrives in, in the cap in the classic Captain Universe costume, flying out to deal with Baron Carza. And we have some there's some really cool panels here. I mean, Baron Carza does kind of pick up on pretty quickly that the power that he's dealing with is of comes from the Enigma Force, but he's not as as arrogant as characters like this are. He thinks when he's fighting Captain Universe that he fully understands the, the Enigma Force and its weakness and it's, it's what it can do and what it can't. But of course, he really doesn't. So considering Ray Coffin really doesn't know what he's doing, really, he does really well. 
against Baron Carter for the most part. There's this awesome splash page, which Chad was very wise to use as part of the artwork for this issue, which is splash page of Baron Carza and Captain Universe duking it out. And it's just a beautifully, beautifully drawn page. The Micronauts, while this is going on, the Micronauts kind of come up with a plan to go through the, they want to go through the Prometheus pit, I believe, and shut it down from the other side or destroy it. So trapping Baron Carza so he can't get back to the Microverse. And at some, and while they're fighting, Baron Carza kind of picks up on what's going on here. And as soon as he does, he does not want to be trapped on Earth because the microverse is his be all end all. So he reverses the, you know, the mind merge, the genetic connection with with Prometheus. He flies back through the Prometheus pit to chase the Micronauts before they, they can trap him there. Of course, it's like going through a black hole and stuff. They arrive in in different. They're they're going to arrive back in the microverse at different at different times and different places. And at this point. Uh, you see the time travelers, they talk amongst themselves and to Steve Coffin. The Prometheus pit is now sealed, brothers. It will never be used again. We must prepare for our confrontation with Karza. It is time we sought the return of our power from the Earthman, Ray Coffin. I will contact Captain Universe, brothers. Then you see they are talking to Ray Coffin as the Captain Universe power is removed. It says, Ray Coffin, it's time to return the power which we loaned you. And time traveler, he says, he says, yeah, I guess I'm done with, I'm done with what I needed doing. And you know, Stephen, Stephen Ray kind of hug each other, and that pretty much ends our first intro into the world of Captain Universe. Yeah, you're gonna have to tell us a bit about the Micronauts, just uh, you know, kind of thousand foot level thing, because sure. this is a, uh, this is a, a, I first of all, guys. I own this issue. Uh, I love Captain Universe is one of my favorite characters in terms of like, you know, uh, I've got there's a Marvel Legends action figure of Spider-Man in this costume. I have that figure. There's a Funko Pop of the same Captain Universe Spider-Man uh, amalgam. Yeah, I have we, both, that. we both have that one. Yeah, for sure. Um, hell, we should have even thought about bringing Jim on this because Jim loves Captain Universe too. He before there was a Funko Pop of like an official Funko Pop, Jim customized a Captain Universe Funko Pop. Um, so, uh, but the interesting thing about this is I know Captain Universe from something else. We'll get to that in a minute. I don't need to go off on that tangent yet. But because of that, I was really just wanted Captain Universe's first appearance. It's one of the few comics that I have purchased and invested in, but never read. This is my first time reading this. And I can tell you right away, the reason I didn't read it is I have no interest in, no no insult to you, but I have no interest in the Micronauts. Much in the same way that I have tried to read series like um, Aryan Lord of Atlantis or uh, Amethyst Gemworld stuff or... Um, warlord stuff where it takes place in scar Terrace. like i know so much uh, in terms of dc comics i know so much about the main dc universe and its history and stuff that when you give me a comic that is sort of set apart from all of that and in its own world it has its own lore it just becomes almost like i'm reading a you know like almost i'm reading when you read something for the first time, it's like it's if if you, it's like if you gave somebody Crisis as their first book. I would feel t- I feel totally lost every time I open like a book, an issue of Arian. I don't know 
I don't know any of the players. I don't know any of the names. I don't know any of the places. I feel completely and utterly lost. That's what happens when I try to envelop myself in something like Micronauts. But have you tried to actually read that series starting from like issue one? Yes. It's just, it, it's, it's too much for me. And something, something in my mind goes like, like I'm okay with expanding my knowledge of what I already know. Like if they're introducing new concepts and stuff to characters, I already have a base knowledge for, but something in my mind goes, you've reached your capacity for accepting an entire new worlds and lore. <laughs> uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. Uh, maybe there's, maybe it's a combination of that plus maybe just a general lack of interest. Just, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but what what can you tell us about the Micronauts that makes it, I guess with, with, with uh, relation to this episode, what can you tell us about the Micronauts that makes a character like Captain Universe the perfect place to introduce this character? Well, based on, well, first of all, the easy answer is based on the origin they give us or where the power comes from. This is the first time characters that created the unipower were introduced but as a concept i mean the the ultimate the ultimate and i did want to talk about the micronauts a little bit before we uh just generally speaking uh, because by the way guys if i didn't mention that sufficiently enough mark is a big micronauts fan but the ultimate irony in this issue of course is that while this was I mean, again, that's that like we I mentioned and we talked about off air. That splash page between Baron Carza and and Ray Coffin is awesome, and it's probably one of the more memorable. Not I'm, I don't know if it's the most memorable piece of art from this whole series, but it's probably in my mind's eye when I see that this series. And I and I don't I, and I think I missed a couple of issues because obviously I used to get this you know like at uh, drugstores and pharmacies and stuff on the newsstand when I was a kid. So that were probably I think there were. I think there might have been one or two issues that I maybe I missed. It's possible I caught up on this one. It was ROM. I definitely did. I missed the first. There's some issues that I had missed. But this that artwork is certainly up there and some of the most memorable artwork that was done in this entire series. The ultimate irony, of course, is if you look at this issue as a whole in the course of the Micronauts series, Captain Universe coming into play in this, he serves a plot point, but it's not like he really served much. He, and I saw this in the, in the like the list of Captain Universe that you had in that in the comic that you uploaded that I checked. I was just I, cause I almost forgot completely about doing the unzipping of that so I could look at it. That I I was thinking right before I, I opened that I was like you know I don't remember if Captain Universe ever showed up again in the in the, in the Micronauts. And I'm thinking well he might have in the 30s and then I'm looking at and then I'm looking at the blue and the blur, excuse me. And it says, yeah, Commander Ran, I guess, had the unit power briefly. And I think Micronauts 35. But as a character, Micron, uh, Captain Universe really was not overly relevant to the whole Micronauts series. But yet that is the legacy of the Micronauts, really, in the Marvel Universe is Captain Universe. The unit power is the legacy, even though some of these characters are still around technically because they own them. They created them like Marionette. They created Bug. They created the because the Micronauts for people that don't know it was a toy line. It was it was based on the Microman toy line in Japan that came over to the U.S. I think Migo was the one behind it to start with here, and I and I was familiar with the toys, which is why I was probably tailor made to go into this comic when it launched because I had the toys and the toys predated Star Wars, not by much, but they did because I remember you even and I have a list of the toys when they came out. I opened it up to do research for this. But I remember they came out first because I used to use Time Traveler 
because he was golden. I used him as C-3PO before there ever was a C-3PO action figure. So I wasn't so that was the appeal to me. The toys, the toys were cool. They're kind of like the Transformers before their time that they had vehicles that transformed into different things. And they had vehicles that, that the figures that the action figures could fit into. And a lot of the, the action figures had interchangeable parts like a Croyer's all his limbs. I'm trying to remember if his legs come, come off, but his arms could come off and his jetpack could come off. And they did a really good job with this. Like Marvel actually did with a lot of their toy based comics and in bringing the actual features of the toy into the comics, uh, a Croyer's his jetpack, his, his sword, uh, uh, the whole thing with Force Commander, I mentioned him being made a cyborg, I mean, uh, a, a centaur that the re- I hope I used the right word. I'm thinking maybe I screwed up on that. But, yeah, he was he was forced and made into a centaur. And that's appropriate because part of Baron, what Baron Carr's a shtick is that he can transform himself into a centaur, which comes directly from the toys, because you had Baron Carza and I think Andromeda, I think, was his horse and Force Commander and Oberon was his horse. So they were interchangeable. So you had the action figure you could connect to the body of the horse if you took the head off and make them centaurs. And they were, I think, one of the first action figures that their joints were magnetic, like ball bearings and magnets. So that's why I still have Baron Carza to this day, though, of course, all his shooting fists, which is another thing they carried over into the comics. So it's like the basic idea of the Micronaut. It's like it's like, a, I mean, like I read in the beginning, it's like a Star Wars kind of story. All these mic, the mic, they're trying to free the micro microverse from this Palpatine-like character, and Commander ran from all his journeys in time and space for the thousand years he was exploring and reaching out to new civilizations. Basically, developed this psionic and psychic power, which was a connection to the Enigma Force. We don't know that yet. Spoiler alert! But as the series goes on, it becomes a huge factor. His his connection to the Enigma Force and what that means, and I mentioned this a long time ago, but I'll mention it now because probably nobody remembers anyway, if you, if you, if you, even if you heard the episode. One of the coolest things, I think in any book, that and it sticks to sticks out, and I remember it to this day, it was like in the late 40s in the Micronauts as that ser- original series was winding down. You had car- basically through meditation, Commander Ran reaches out on this psychic plane, and when he arrives at the Church of the Enigma Force, there's this cloaked figure, and of course, it's Baron Carza who's arrived there too. And they, they're both pleading, they're both pleading their case why the Enigma Force should give them the power. And the Enigma Force on the surface is supposedly sick of being torn back and forth between their between these two and their fight. And, he, and they just say, "Well, we're not going to make a choice, but we'll give you both the power." And they show Baron Carza what it would be like to have the, the unit, sort of the unipower, but the Enigma Force itself, and how and his armor turned pure white. And he would realize that he only existed literally to heal the wounds of the microverse, that all his personal desire for conquest and power wouldn't exist. That's what being a god would be. So he rejects that. And by doing that, Commander Commander Rand rejects the power, too. But he knows the significance of this, which is why the Enigma Force did it, was now the cars rejected godhood completely. Now Commander Rand knew he could be fight him and beat him as a man because he was a man. He could be killed. So that's all that always stuck with me, too. But it was a fun series. It's too I've, it's too bad you, that it didn't really uh, resonate with you. But I it is I will admit that it is. I think it's rel- it's somewhat complex if you didn't get into it in the beginning. And yeah, it and, feels pretty dense. Yeah, I would say that's a fair assessment. And even some of the background, like the stuff about how how exactly Baron Carza took over. That's like, I think, in the first annual. 
that I mean, I mean, you know what happened, but seeing it, you see that story. And 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 because, again, this is like a reverse Obi-Wan Anakin thing to a certain extent, because as chief scientist and advisor to the royal family, Karza kind of tutored Commander Ran when he was younger, before he went off on this grand exploration mission with Biotron. So there's a little so that that personal teacher student dynamic and the fact that he betrayed, you know, he betrayed Commander Rand's parents and killed them. And 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 there's, there's and there's a lot of I mean, the things that are cool that you would pro- find interesting, probably. I mean, every one of the things that's cool is that everybody's like in pairs when this series starts. You add Micronauts along the way, but you have my you have Biotron and Commander Rand. You got Mary, Mary and Microtron, who's kind of like R2-D2. And you have Bug and Acroyer, which are kind of like Han Solo and Chewie, even though Commander Rand is actually like Han Solo and Luke combined in one character, too. But there's a certain element of Thor. There's a, there's a Thor-esque relationship going on with Acroyer because he's like the royal prince of Spartak. He gets betrayed by his half-brother, Prince Shaitan, and he gets exiled and things like that. So there's a Loki-Thor dy- dynamic. And even even Acroyer's uh, sword is not quite... Mjolnir-esque, but there's aspects of it because it connects him to the soul of his planet, which comes into play later in the book, too, what he can do with, with, with that power. But it is, I would admit that it's dense. I think the I think the stylized artwork really worked for this book, especially when it first when it first came out. And I think they did a good job developing these characters and making them unique. And it's just one of those things that, much like Rom, it's unfortunate that some of the cooler characters they've created they can't really touch anymore. I mean, they can they can use Commander Rand, but they can't call him Space Glider. But they can't use a Croyer. They can't use Biotron. They can't use Microtron. Can't use Karza. You can't use any of those characters because those were actual com- came directly from the toys. So it's one of those unfortunate things that again, that's partially why I guess the Captain Universe is one of the few active members of the in the legacy of the Micronauts in the in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoy the character. I think I think maybe we should move to spotlight number nine because I think a lot of the, the conversation will just be us talking about the character more than these, the specific issues. Yes. So let me uh, let me go ahead and do that. Let me go to uh, uh, Marvel Spotlight number nine. Uh, but this is volume two of Marvel Spotlight, and for the DC only players at home, uh, Marvel Spotlight is like DC Comics presents. Every now and then we have different characters uh, taking on uh, different stories, and uh, sometimes it can last for an issue just spotlighting a character. Sometimes it can last for several issues. Much in the way DC Comics presents, uh, I think that was the new 52, right, where we had a few issues of Blue Devil before it moved to a few issues of something else. Anyways, uh, so Captain Universe uh, is the first, uh, or sorry, Marvel Spotlight number nine is the first time we have the Captain Universe arc of Marvel Spotlight. Uh, and this is probably the cover that you see most often when referencing Captain Universe uh, images online. Uh, him going up against uh, the shadows. I believe it's called When Shadows Fall. Um, I'm going to try and encapsulate this as best I can, uh, as quickly as I can. Uh, the title of this is The Mystery of Mr. E. Um, and basically, we pick up sort of uh, where we left off. Ray Coffin is at home with wait, his... Wait, wait one second, Chad. <laughs> wait one second. Do, do, do you want to read the little Stanley Presents text? Yeah. Okay. For yeah. Captain yeah. Only because only it, might, it might give a, the context of kind of like what, what the story is going... You know, almost like a a hint of what's going to 
what's going to come and because we'll probably will cover the other issues in, in the spotlight series at some point. Sure. Uh, the universe is filled with unimaginable power in times of crisis. This power is passed on to individuals, whether they're able to wield it or whether they will wield it for good or for ill. No one can say one thing is certain that those touched by the unipower are changed forever. Stan Lee presents Captain Universe. Uh, Bill Mantlo is our writer-creator. Steve Ditko is our artist. Yeah, awesome. Uh, recognize it almost right away. G. Simek is our letterer. B. Sean is our colorist. Al Milgram is our editor. And Jim Shooter is our editor-in-chief. So uh, we pick up where we left off, basically, uh, in terms of uh, our focus on Ray Coffin and his son. It was Steve, right? Yeah. And they are just doing yard work at home. Uh, and they're talking a bit about their adventures in Micronauts uh, issue eight when suddenly uh, Ray collapses uh, to the ground. Uh, Steve is warned by the dog uh, because the unipower is trying to activate within Ray. Um, it doesn't, it causes said heart attack. He's too weak. Uh, he goes to the hospital uh, on the NASA base uh, at the Kennedy hospital located at Cape Canaveral. So he is uh, he is in the hospital bed and tells Steve what happened, that the Unipower tried to connect with him, and uh, it's too much for his old ticker. Then the nurse comes in and says visiting hours are over in a very creepy and repetitive tone. The entire Cape Canaveral goes completely black. He notices – Steve notices something up with the hospital staff. He doesn't leave the hospital and it's too late because everybody is converting into shadows. He goes running back to his father's bedside. His father is starting to convert into a shadow and he freaks out and says, I don't want you to become one of them. And suddenly Steve is endowed with the powers of the Unipower and is transformed into Captain Universe. He stops the transformation of his father into a shadow creature goes up against those creatures uh, that have already been converted um, in various ways. He grabs like a uh, uh, intravenous support rod and turns it into nunchucks. Uh, he thinks about jumping over them and he does. Um, he turns a hospital cart into a skateboard to get away as well as ride the walls and the ceilings and all kinds of other crap. He flies through the air and of course, because the hospital is located at Cape Canaveral, he sees where all the shadows are headed, which is to a new shuttle, uh, which is uh, supposed to be uh, capable of flying to or near the sun. It's a solar shuttle. And there he sees the character of Mr. E, which is a massive shadow and uh, a non-human type being who has converted everybody into shadows to convert the shuttle into shadows. And his whole goal of doing this is to fly the shuttle to the sun and turn the sun into a black star uh, emitting shadow, casting the world in shadow. And then of course, Mr. E who is a being made of shadow can then rule the world. You know, your atypical sort of, uh, you know, villain ruling the planet and the uh, type of thing. He manages to convert uh, a lot of the humans uh, that have been transformed into shadow back to human then he boards the ship along with Mr. E, who has his own uh, uh, another cadre of shadow. Uh, at one point, they refer to them as shadow demons. <laughs> so shout out DC Comics along with him on the on the solar shuttle as they're heading towards the sun. 
he uh steve as captain universe is trying to fight back and he starts thinking i gotta think like luke skywalker of the star wars movies i've been given a force the unipower but it's up to me to learn how to use it hey that flashlight he reaches out in the darkness and basically turns the flashlight into a lightsaber and starts fighting back these demons as well as Mr. E. They get too, very close to the sun. Steve knows he's running out of time, uh, flies out of the ship, breaking a hole in the side of the hull. And despite the unipower, it, he's still flying very close to the sun. He's starting to feel effects, so he has very little time. So his thought is to slow the ship down so instead of piloting it into the sun so that mr e can turn it into a black star he slows it down turns it to the side so that the hole that he just ripped out of the shuttle is facing the sun thus casting light into the ship landing on mr e dissipating him he then heads back to earth where his father is the unipower leaves him now that the threat is gone his father wakes up and tests to completely clean all effects of his heart attack are gone. He's, he's fully recovered. Uh, his father speculates that the unipower healed him, making up for having caused his heart attack in the first place. And uh, who will receive the unipower next? Who will be the next captain universe? Could be you don't miss spotlight number 10. And that, uh, that really tells us, uh, gives us actually that, that uh, little tease uh, gives us one of our first glimpses into the tagline for this character uh, to come in appearances from now on is Captain Universe, the hero who could be you. This is a fun, this is a fun issue. I always, I always had fond memories of, of this issue. Well, Ditko's artwork is obviously, I, I don't like to use the word dated, but yet it's dated. But I mean, in the sense that you cer- you certainly think of a certain period of time. Oh yeah, it's a it's recognizable the, yes. uh, Marvel House style, like but the six, like the Spider-Man sixties, sixties. Yeah. But that being said, it really, really works for this story. Yeah, it's it really, it really works, and I think, and I think this is this issue is good at and it is good at introducing the concept of what they want, what they wanted to do with with Captain Universe going forward, because this was not this was nineteen eighty. Yeah, I, I mean, I almost think this is like so. Obviously, Micronauts Eight is the first introduction of the character. I almost think if you want to learn about Captain Universe, this may be your better starting point besides Micronauts Eight. I could see that. like you understand the origin of the power, but I mean, also you really kind of get all you need to know here too. And really, all you need to know is cosmic force granted to people who need it in times of the in times that they need it. Yeah, I do think, generally speaking, does it help to have that extra knowledge, that extra background one way or the other, even if you do it retroactively? Does it help? Yeah, I think it does. Do you need it? No, you're absolutely correct. You don't. This issue, that's one of the reasons I wanted you to read that blurb and just the fact that and just the recap of Micronauts 8 that they give you, because, again, not everybody, not everybody who was going to grab Marvel Spotlight 9 was a you know red micronauts number eight so it was they were they were just counting i mean i'm sure they were counting on that being helping them because or else the cover you know the cover wouldn't mean much if you if that name didn't mean anything to you uh and the i mean the cover is kind of cool but i don't know how how many average people would it would it would draw in without having at least an initial background or knowledge of like what the captain universe concept was 
but it's a good, but by itself, it's, it's a good issue. And I think it's, it is one of your quintessential, when I think, when I think of Captain Universe, and again, my experience is more in, in the, in the first phase of when they introduced the character, maybe like the first 10 or 15 years compared to you, I always think of these two issues. So that's why it was kind of cool that we were going to delve into these first before we talk about some of the other Captain Universe stories. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think this is this is really great because, I mean, we're not going to talk about the other ones, obviously, in this episode. Right. Um, but I mean, this goes on in 10 and 11 of Spotlight. That's 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 it for Spotlight, right? Correct. 10 and 11. OK. And, you know, we you know, we don't have to we don't have we're not going to d- dive into it, but just alluding to it real quick. You mentioned in your kind of recap of what happens later on with this Captain Universe power within the Micronauts series, it is given to two people. In one of the next appearances, it's given to two women at the same time. So we explore not only different ways this power can be used in terms of what the danger is that's being faced, but different ways it can be used in terms of of who can wield it, how many at a time, what that means, how that works, and so on and so forth. So it, I, I do kind of like the anthology potential uh, that the Captain Universe power brings us because, again, it can be anyone. And, and we'll talk about a character that does get the, the unipower that was my introduction to Captain Universe here in a minute. But like uh, there's there's so much potential with the Captain Universe concept. Let's not call it the character. The, the Captain Universe right. it's, concept. It's essentially a con. Yeah, it is a concept because it's not a true character. We can we can tell brand new stories with brand new people. We can introduce new characters, or we can take characters that we already know and tell a Captain Universe story with them. And I really that's one of the things I really like about it. And and honestly, I've said this before on our podcast as well as other podcasts because when we guest on shows, it's a question we get asked often: is like, why do we like Green Lantern? And my answer has always been, I like the idea of a power coming out of nowhere to choose you. And I list things off like. You know, like, the, like, you know, my, my favorite thing is a power that you're not the power. The power is something that happens to you. Green Lantern rings, an alien symbiote, for lack of a better. Uh, I mean, obviously, Thor's a god, but like, you know, whoever wields this hammer, you know, if he be worthy, possesses the power of Thor. Mjolnir, um, Ragman, a suit of souls. I, I neglect to mention Captain Universe is in that same line. It's a power that comes out of nowhere that chooses you. Um, so, uh, it's, it's a no brainer that it was really interesting to me. And, uh, we, you know, when we, when we talk briefly about the other, about my first exposure to the character here in a moment, uh, we'll, we'll get another reason why I like it quite, quite a bit, but there's a lot that we learn about Captain Universe and Micronauts 8, but I think we really see the potential of future storytelling and the, and the value of the character in Marvel publishing with this issue or starting with this issue. Right. Because obviously whether, whether it was originally created this way when they first were discussing, you know, introducing this in Micronauts eight, whether this was something they automatically knew right off the bat, they wanted to do, or whether it was something that came, you know, the gong went off after the fact, clearly the concept of having a power that can go from, host to host it's kind of so it's, it's like it's kind of like a, it's like a benevolent version of parallax in the sense that you can go from host to host to host and and then when you except when your job is done you <laughs> the power comes back so it's like you recall the power that is that's a really cool 
concept. It's not the same, but it's almost like when they were really big, when DC was really pushing the dial H for hero stuff, when they were asking people to submit, you know, do their designs for characters and heroes and, and what their powers were and designs, just that it's similar in the sense that, that while obviously Captain Universe pretty much looks, looks the same for the most part, no matter who the host is because of the uniform, but the idea is that who actually was wielding the power and how they wield it, it depends on, it depends on the bearer. Now I really want to go back and dig out Micronauts 35 again because I don't because I completely forgot. I didn't. Well, obviously I mentioned I didn't completely forget because I thought in that arc that that might have been where Captain Universe showed up again. But I but I almost forgot that Doctor Strange and Commander Ran dealt with the unit power. I did remember Doctor Strange being in that book, which is which is kind of interesting by itself that they were dealing with those mystical aspects. But yeah, there's. There's a bunch of people on the list. I know we talked about the Hulk annual that at some point that would be cool to do to the when Captain Unit when they're trying to just stop that nuclear missile from leaving the silo and and the unit power basically has no it needs someone it needs a champion and it can't give it to the Hulk because the Hulk is just mindless. So to get it to Bruce Banner, so Bruce Banner literally has to fight the Hulk as Captain Universe in order to make sure <laughs> that the missile doesn't go get launched. And I mean the artwork I hated in that issue, but the story is really cool. <laughs> It's interesting you mentioned the the Hulk is mindless uh, because in uh, in this issue here one of the art one of the the one um, uh, ad that oh I yes when he's mentioned about, in the slippers and stuff yeah is uh, it's it's a full page ad it's be elite it's neat become a privileged Marvel subscriber and it shows Hulk in a smoking jacket holding a a, a teacup in front of a fireplace facing the reader and saying things like greetings culture lovers i the ever incredible hulk offer both sad and joyous tidings first the unfortunate news commencing this month your favorite marvel comics will cost 50 cents on the newsstand or six dollars for 12 issues an unavoidable shame i assure you but don't despair i offer a money-saving solution that's sure to dazzle and delight you Come closer and I'll fill you in. And then he goes on to say, like, hey, fill out this little subscription thing, mail it in, blah, blah, blah. And it's just really cool. <laughs> it's just interesting, like, this smart Hulk. And it looks like, what, that must be She-Hulk sitting in yes, there. Yes, I assume it's She-Hulk based on, yeah. yes. Um, but, like, it's for privileged Marvel subscribers only. It's, just, it's dated July 1980. You get uh, $5 for, it's $5 for your first subscription. So you're subscribing for a year. Um, and that means you get 12 issues, uh, and then $4 for every additional title, which is like, just, I mean, that's just a great, that's a, that's a great scheme. Hey, save money. If you actually subscribe, you can get more titles for your money. FYI. So like, that's great. You know, what's interesting uh, about this is first of all, the titles on here are basically everything you'd expect, including ROM and what if, and Micronauts. Uh, Micronauts and so on and so forth. Probably most of their line, to be honest with you at the time. Yeah, if true. not all of it, it was damn close to it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and you know, the big ticket stuff is here too, like Spider-Man and Avengers and Captain America and Daredevil and all that stuff. But what's interesting to me is I was thinking about it uh, as I saw this. I was like, every time I hear someone recount their childhood and like how they got their comics and how they read them, they always talk about like going to the gas station and checking the spinner racks, or they talk about like visiting a store when they're on vacation or something like that. I honestly don't think I've any heard anybody recount their childhood and talk about their subscription and getting their comics in the mail. I did too. I did during my early experience in my, in my mind's eye, because that used 
when my when my when I used to have my, my when my father had his visitation days, let's phrase it that way, used to be Sundays. So when he would come up, that used that usually was part of our our agenda. We would hit a couple pharmacies, we didn't get something and get something to eat unless we were like doing something out of the ordinary, like going to a ball game or something. So that kind of be, so I guess I think that's part of why we're so ingrained in me going the same, you know, hitting the pharmacies and things like that. But this and this does tie into the micronauts briefly. So that's what the only reason I'll mention it. That when the micronauts, I had some, I had subscriptions to most of the major ones. I had Spider Man, the Hulk. I did have Godzilla. And when Godzilla got canceled, they gave me an option of rolling it over to another book and things like that. So I had Spider Man and the Hulk and things like that for a long time. When the micronauts ended, I still had a subscription. I still had issues. So what they did was they rolled me over to what the new voyages, which was if it wasn't the first direct m- direct market book, it was one of them. So I don't even know if we had a, a comic book shop around here at the time. But the Micronauts was no longer going when they relaunched that on, in the second volume. It was not going to be on newsstand. So the only reason I have, like, however number of issues I have of that second volume was just because my subscription had issues left in it when they canceled the first book. <laughs> yeah, I used to get them. It used to be cool because they, they used to make a big deal about always mailed flat. So they weren't like rolling up, you know, the the outer brown wrapper that your comic books were in. They always made sure they mailed them flat so your book would come as, come in decent shape. Yeah, tell, tell me a bit about that because like I was thinking about the shape of it. Like, if, like they, they probably didn't think of them necessarily back then as collector's items, maybe in some way, but like, were they in a box? Were they in one of those envelopes that you have nowadays that is filled with with, with bubble wrap? Like, what, no, what? I, if from what I remember, they were they definitely didn't come in a box. They came they came individually wrapped, but it was like the you know the the brown outer wrapping like you wrap on a box to mail. Um, I'm trying to it was like so basically it was like a brown a brown sleeve, and they would come individually. So if, so it didn't matter whether if, if you had like four. If you had like four different books you subscribe to, you'd get four. They would come four individual uh, magazines. They wouldn't come grouped together. And uh, that's and that's all I remember about it. I don't think there was any kind of protection. Based on the release date of the comic or based on the same time every around the same time every month. Yeah, yeah, because I I don't because I don't I don't know if back then there was I don't honest again because I was smaller. I don't really remember if there if there, if the releases in a month were as staggered as they are now specifically. But uh, yes, but based on the time whichever book was being published, then yeah, you would you would get it in the mail, and that's and that's probably why I think I have like uh, I'm pretty sure like those first Venom issues and stuff in Amazing Spider-Man. I think I have all those because I still had a, had a subscription to Amazing Spider-Man and and the Hulk and and, and Uncanny X-Men and things like that. That probably the latter days of my first stage of comic collecting, all the books I was getting at that point were all based on subscription. So, hmm. yeah, it was it was kind of cool. It was funny because I'm glad you mentioned it in a way. I mean, we both mentioned it. But I, but the reality is that it's some, some of the things I kind of I miss in a way, because sometimes it would be easier. Now, obviously, you can just order them someplace else to get them and get it like a whole month's worth of books, like a DCBS or something and have them shipped. But the reality is it was it was something cool. It was and it, and it worked and it worked pretty well. I don't remember ever getting I don't consciously remember getting like like any maybe maybe once in a while you'd get a book that was a little less flat than others, depending on how how the mail took care of it. But it's not because they didn't send it out the correct way. But it, but the idea was not 
when they, with, the, with the mailed flat concept, they just didn't want to like roll it up like friggin' like you would do with like a newspaper and stick it in a newspaper box, essentially. Hmm. Interesting. But, yeah. All right. You want to talk about what if real quick? Sure. All right, guys. So my introduction to Captain Universe was what if number 31? This is titled What If Spider-Man Had Kept His Cosmic Powers? Now, before we get into it, all we what we know about what if is is pretty standard, guys. Like there is something that happens in the Marvel Universe. This story is what if you know, time or fate took a different turn. What is that universe like? Now, I will be fully honest here. I love this story. It was my introduction to Captain Universe. Uh, I was, it has a special place in my heart. I have not gone back to read the original story to read the actual way it played out when Spider-Man got the Unipower. Mark, have you? No. Okay. I have not. Because I didn't know if there's any context you could give us thereof. So forgetting forgetting all that, at some point in the regular Marvel universe, uh, Spider-Man got the the Unipower. They recap it a little bit at the beginning of this "What If" issue. It's still I'm not it's it's not worth it because that's not part of the story we're telling here. What we know even about this that we've learned in the two issues we've reviewed so far in this episode is that the Unipower doesn't stay with you. It goes where it's needed. Now, the stories under which we've seen it are when it comes to Earth. It is a universal power. It has gone elsewhere across the universe. There is something about Peter Parker and the hero that is Spider-Man that in this universe, instead of leaving Spider-Man after the events of whatever took place in the regular Marvel Universe and listeners at home, if you know what that is, Feel free to contact us and let us know. More than happy. If you even if you can give me a complete list of that story or a trade paperback under which that story is collected, I'd be happy to go out and buy it because I kind of feel ashamed that I don't have that context, despite this being one of my favorite Marvel characters or concepts. The Unipower instead decides to stick with Peter Parker and will stay with him. Now, I do not have this issue in front of me because I promised Mark I wasn't going to take too long. So I'm going to recap based on memory from reading it earlier today. Uh, essentially, uh, what happens is uh, he keeps the Unipower. The Unipower uh, is very beneficial to him. Uh, like he shows up, for instance, you know, at, to home and Mary Jane's like, hey, what's oh, what's up with your eyes? Because his eyes have gone all white and godlike or whatever. And he like he touches her and turns her clothes into this really sexy Spider Woman outfit, and they get all kinky or whatever, whatever, right? But eventually, because the Unipower goes where it's needed, think of it as like an amplified, intense Spidey sense. As in, like, not only are you aware of danger, but your pull to said danger, your need to go address it, is much more heightened. So much so. That at one point, you know, because he's been busy, there's a sequence, uh, I think it's a one page sequence with several like longer panels across the page where it shows like one panel of him doing something at one point in the world. And then the next panel, we see Mary Jane alone at dinner. Uh, And then another panel, he's doing something uh, else across the world, Mary Jane alone at a Broadway show, Uh, you know, so on and so forth. Like he's he's everywhere, but where he should be as, as, as a man or whatever. Right. At one point, he's having dinner with. Mary Jane and uh, and Aunt May and Aunt May is commenting on how like she hasn't seen him in a while and stuff. Then he gets the call to danger, right? 
he immediately transforms into Captain Universe and flies out the window, which causes uh, uh, Aunt May to collapse and later be hospitalized because she just had a, a, a near shock. And he's not concerned at all about this. He does things like he finds Hobgoblin and uses his power to transform Hobgoblin's face into looking like his own, Peter Parker. Why he chooses to do this isn't necessarily explained, like making him look like him him instead of just a random regular dude. uh, Not really explained. Later, he decides to track down Venom and try and deal with that, right? He does, apparently, when the symbiote touches Peter, it doesn't recognize him. And therefore, its mission to go and cause Peter all kinds of hell uh, is now null and void because this isn't the Peter it recognizes. So as such, Peter then decides to tell, like offer Venom, like, look, hey, I've got too much on my plate now with who I am as Captain Universe. My attention is needed all over the place. Uh, I need you to uh, be New York's protector. We don't really come back to that. And that's one of the things I really love about what if is like, what if we'll tell you a story and also set up other things that can go on in this universe that we're never probably going to follow up on, but gives you the sense of there's more to be explored here if we ever want to come back to this. So there's this idea out there that's presented in this issue, actually, where and we leave this thread. We never come back to this. We have just set up the idea that Hobgoblin has the face of Peter Parker, and we have just turned Venom loose in New York to be its protector. And maybe Venom's idea of justice and how he accomplishes it could mean very bad things for New York City and the man who has Peter Parker's face. <laughs> but beyond that, there's there's a Avengers-level threat that he takes care of immediately by himself uh, as Captain Universe. There's at one point where he tries to go to Africa with Thor and tell Thor to make it rain so that he can start with the crops and fixing all that stuff to which Thor says, you know, something along the lines of what we'd expect, you know, we're taught not to intervene, so on and so forth. So he punches Thor up into orbit, which obviously pisses off the God of Thunder. They start fighting. Dr. Doom shows up with... The the first the first guy that we why did I forget his name on the guy who played host to to Captain Universe in Micronauts Ray Coffin yes Doom shows up with Ray Coffin and a knife to his neck or whatever and threatening his life and he says I've you know in my quest to track down this power I discovered the history and I was able to find who else has had experience with it and I found Ray Coffin who first wielded the power. Um, I'm going to kill him unless you willingly give up this power and let it go into this gun or whatever I've created to absorb said power or whatever. Because of the impulses that Captain Universe now has, and I'm not talking Spidey, I'm talking Captain Universe now has, and the, the way in which he assesses things, he decides to fight against Dr. Doom, damn Ray Coffin. Ray Coffin is killed in this issue, and that is enough to jar peter parker to where his soul his essence or whatever splits off from captain universe and there's this like ethereal essence of captain universe and this ethereal essence is spider-man and they're fighting against each other and spidey 
is now talking in a way which we'd recognize like all life is valuable and there's always a way to do this right and so on and so forth. And, and how could you sacrifice that man and, and so on and so forth that eventually gets rectified through, you know, some conversation he convinces captain universe in some way he turns the gun that Dr. Doom was going to use on himself to absorb the power. And he's obviously convinced captain universe to let this, you know, let this occur at some point, I forget why it happens, but there's a re- the 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 unipower then is spread to everybody on the planet Earth, connecting all life across the planet to each other for a brief moment, so that everybody understands everybody, and there's this new sense of awareness and understanding, and I guess brotherly love out there, uh, and then the power is dissipated. Spidey is now, or Peter Parker is now himself, but also bereft of his Spidey powers. So not only is Captain Universe gone, Peter Parker is now just Peter Parker. He's not Spider-Man anymore. Then we cut to a few months later, Mary Jane gives birth in the hospital. They have a baby girl and the baby girl is shown to have white eyes like Peter was portrayed with the Unipower when he had the Unipower as well as those, you know, those red squiggly lines that that they used in the comics to showcase his spidey senses going off. The baby has the white eyes and the squiggly lines that show that she has spidey senses. And that's where we end that issue. Oh, crazy storylines. <laughs> it's what if. So yeah, you know. I was the guy. That's what I actually started to say, but I stopped. It's like it it wouldn't be what if if they took if they didn't take it in some weird way to tangent. But can you see without me? I mean, I'm going to explain it for the listeners at home, but can you see why I like this story so much? I'll, I'll give you three words if you don't. Power of Ion. Yeah, it it sounds very Ion-esque, and, except Peter doesn't do as well with it, uh, obviously. Well, I mean, he eventually does Oh, when he, when he, when he comes to himself, when, they, when he's jarred back into thinking like himself. Well, yeah, but you had, but he had to be taken down the road of being, of True. being, he was, he was walking the line of, of Dr. Manhattan and Watchmen. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. You got to read that issue, man. It's well, interesting. People, well, we, we, in theory could have done that, but now you, you pretty much gave the whole recap. I mean, uh, you, you have to read it as, as no, a I know, University. but I'm just saying we could have done it um, another. No, it's fun. I, I really enjoy it. And like, yes it, there's there's differences of it in power of ion but like one of the other things like there's a beat in power of ion where a massive justice league threat shows up and then kyle handles it one hand one-handedly and the rest of the league is we should talk to him about absolute power corrupting absolutely the exact same thing happens here an avengers level threat happens peter handles it one-handedly thor talks to, to captain america and goes we should talk to him about this <laughs> So there's there's a lot of similarities between this one issue and then the entirety of the Power of Ion arc. Um, I just really enjoy it. It's not my favorite what if. It's one of my favorite is what if the Silver Surfer had possessed the Infinity Gauntlet, which, by the way, was written by Ron Mars. This one was written by Glenn Harding with art by Scott McDaniel. Um, so uh, I don't know if anybody's familiar with those uh, creators, but just to throw it out there. No, I just really love it. And plus, the design is great because Captain Universe as Spider-Man has the full mask, but where when you see somebody wearing the Captain Universe costume, they have the sort they have the, it's so that their mouth and chin sort of area are showing kind of like the flashes cowl. You can see their lips and their chin and stuff like that. In when in Spider-Man is Captain Universe, 
that part is covered by the the red and, and black web effect of the of the Spider-Man mask, which just for some reason it just looks really cool. And plus, when Spidey has the Captain Universe powers, and and honestly, this is a concept we've come back to several times. Captain Universe, obviously, he's appeared a lot in Marvel Comics, but for some reason, the Captain Universe Spidey concept is one we come back to quite a bit because in Spider-Verse, you know, the Spider-Man across the multiverse, one of the Spider-Men they recruit is Captain Universe Spidey. So they go to the Earth where this Captain Universe exists. Uh, and maybe it's a maybe it's a different version because he still has the power or maybe it just takes place at some point within the Spidey Captain Universe's uh, lifetime here. Like we haven't yet got to the point where he gives up the power. I don't know. But do you know, have you heard about one of the most recent times that we've seen Captain Universe in Marvel Comics? I feel like the answer should be yes, but off the top of my head, it's not, it's not setting off a gong. So at the beginning of the episode, I, you know, I, I, I did that, that intro uh, <laughs> made it sound like uh, <laughs> a green lantern power um, that we were about to talk about tonight. King in black, which is a story that happened was it last year. What is time anymore? I don't really know if it, King in black was last year or the year before one of the two. Null, who is the god of the symbiotes, in a lot of ways, and I'm not going to explain all of King and Black to you folks, and also because it's such a recent big Marvel event, I'm going to give the spoiler warning here because maybe somebody was waiting for that whole event to be collected in an absolute edition or something and still hasn't read it. Um, For lack of extraneous detail, let's consider that Null is Necron. He was a being of utter darkness who was here before the universe was birthed into light. He's the god of the symbiotes. There is a counterpart to Null, a god of light. At some point, the uh, Eddie Brock, not Venom, Eddie Brock is killed during uh during king in black later on as we learn more and more about null his origins so on and so forth we also learn about we know about a god of light it is revealed that the god of light is actually the enigma force it resurrects eddie brock and it bonds to him turning him into captain universe and that is part of how they beat Null in King and Black. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So <laughs> speaking of the Spidey connection, I mean, obviously it's it's Eddie. It's but I mean, in some ways, we keep coming back to this concept of Spidey and his extended family uh, keep being attached to the the uh, the Captain Universe stuff in some way. So it's interesting that Null is. Uh, Null is to the Marvel Universe what Necron is to the DC Universe. Captain Universe and or in some ways they're considered the same ways and same thing in some ways they're considered different. The Enigma Force slash Captain Universe is kind of like the entity. (laughs) Yeah, you can make... you, you, You could obviously make a Green Lantern analogy here even with, again, the way the... you Just like you can make a case that the the... The, the embodiment of the Enigma Force, the time travelers are like the guardians of the universe. 
Yeah, except they're more, sure. except they tend to be more proactive. Not entirely, but 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 they're not against being proactive. <laughs> they're able to pick their spots a little bit better than the Guardians do. It's like this is a mess because even the thing with that's I think supposedly the whole idea of how why Commander Ren was was able to kind of like transcend during his voyage was because of the fact that the Enigma Force there is a certain chosen one aspect of him that he was supposed to be he was being prepared and groomed because they were because he was going to be the, the needed vessel to be able to stop Karza. So he was being, over the thousand years of his journey, he was being prepped for this and prepared for it so he would be able to wield the power when the time, when the time came. Yeah. Well, let, let me, I, just for the listeners at home, I want to make sure I, I correct something. Uh, the Enigma Force is the entity. Captain Universe is like Kyle Rayner. He isn't the entity but he's a representative of a wielder of the power of, or some of the power of the entity. I to me, it'd be more like he'd be that he was Ion. Well, I mean, it says uh, for the Marvel, the Marvel fandom wiki or whatever says the Enigma force is a God of light. uh, And and that references as as a single being. And then it says during the cars wars, a time traveler first bestowed the Unipower on someone in the macroverse. The Unipower is not the Enigma Force itself, but only one facet of right. it. Right. Yeah, it's a por- it, it's a it's a portion of it. So yeah. I, yeah, to me, I think it's still more like it's more like the ent- more more like Ion. It'd be more like the the entity because it, it because first of all, it's even though you can make a case even that's not a perfect analogy because. You'd like to think Ion as a living being has certain aspects and personality. Well, Captain Universe really isn't a living being. It's just like raw power that has a certain natural shape to it. So it but I think it's more more than just saying it's a person. I'd say it's a concept. It's the end. It would be more like the entity of Ion or like the entity of Parallax, where no matter who it goes into, it's going to bring certain things into into its host. And but it still is funny, like like I mentioned earlier, kind of like coming full circle. It is funny that at the end of the day, that's the the whole Enigma Force Captain Universe concept is probably the the, the biggest, the longest lasting uh, remnant and biggest contribution that the Micronauts made into the like into the into the MU. Though of course, if they had never lost the rights to these characters, then that could very well be a different story. But still, but that. Something that wasn't even a a big deal in the series, cool concept, cool moment in issue eight, wasn't even the ultimate. You know, it wasn't a huge factor in the overall Micronaut series, but yet that's the thing that survived, and still is a factor, obviously today. I'm gonna have to start buying up the appearances of Captain Universe. I think that'd be interesting, oh, a, an interesting collection challenge, because I mean, technically, I probably have the most expensive one of that quest already, right? In terms of its first appearance in Micronauts 8, Probably. can you think of any other appearance that like was shared with another big moment that might be an expensive issue? I'm just even looking at this list in your in your you know the hero who could be you document. Yeah, I don't know because obviously a lot of these were one shots. They obviously 2006 must have been a big year for Captain Universe one shots because there seemed to be a lot of them. I doubt it. In all honesty, I looking at who's who was hosting here and there. I don't really think that there would be anything of super. I mean, it, if the Micronauts were had any real value other than to people like me, then maybe thirty five would be cool because not only did Commander Ran obviously have the power, but so did Doctor Strange had part of the power. 
that would be cool. But but again, Micronauts, I don't think has really held on to much value. And and, and but it could have a little. That issue might have a little value because just because Captain Universe is in it, it's not the first appearance, but it is pretty much the only other appearance of Captain Universe in the book. But yeah, I would Hulk say, annual might be the Hulk annual possibly. I I mean I I do think if, if we revisit this, that would, I mean maybe not even the next. If we do another chapter in this series, that that may not necessarily be where we go next because we can just do the two spotlight issues and wrap that up. But yeah, the, I w- yeah but the annual would the annual is a cl- it's, it's a clever concept and it, it is the ultimate irony too that Banner becomes if he that at least according to if he's not the only person to ever host Captain Universe twice, he's one of the few people because almost everybody's hosted it just once. But Bruce Banner basically twice ha- had it. He had it in the one shot in 2006. And, of course, he had it in the Hulk annual. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of of all people you would think that is quite an interesting. That's an interesting little uh, tidbit for for Bruce Banner. But <laughs> I know you sort of described a little bit of how that went. Like you obviously didn't give it too much away. But I'm just thinking of the idea of the Hulk with <laughs> with the powers of captain oh, that would be hard that would be depends on the version of the hulk too you know if it was like the smart yeah. hulk or Prof- professor hulk it could have been quite that could have been quite different but i like i'm trying i'm trying i guess it was because literally there was there was nobody else available at the time and because banner had already transformed into the hulk the only thing the unit power could do was basically reach inside and split them into two beings temporarily I mean, the Hulk, I think, I don't think, I don't necessarily know if the Hulk was any more mindless than he than well, he normally was. I mean, another example of, of the Unipower giving people intellect in that, in that what if issue I, I talked about, one of the first scenes to kind of set up what the Unipower is and introduce that to the reader is there's a scene where uh, the, one of the introductory scenes is this couple is parked out in, you know, a nice overlook or whatever. And he has taken his girlfriend up into a hot air balloon to propose to her. And they have left their dog on the ground uh, next to the car. But the hot air balloon ignites and explodes and they go dropping to the ground. The unipower goes to the dog. The dog saves them before they hit the ground and then the unipower leaves them. But because the unipower hits the dog, like the dog's like, you know, a, I mean, I'm not going to read it, but like, like, there's a quick blurb of like, my name's Casey. Suddenly I have intellect and awareness. Uh, oh, my master is falling. I have been abound, abound with the power of the unipower for the universe. I will go save them. And then he drops him to the ground. Is like, okay, I really hope I get a treat out of that. And then the unipower leaves him and he's just like, woof. <laughs> Oh, yeah. This is a stupid way to show that the unipower really can go into any sentient being where it's needed, but like it, it drives the point home. <laughs> but he looks so adorable in the outfit. <laughs> Did you look it up? No, no, it's 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 on that it's on that page in 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 that issue you have. I just didn't I just didn't realize Casey was a dog because because I don't I didn't have the page I didn't have it zoomed up, zoomed in enough. I just saw Casey and what if thirty one. I'm thinking. Yeah. What the hell was Casey? I just heard him talk about what if 31 and then, and then you're mentioning it. And then it's like, oh, it's like that name sounds familiar. Let me zoom in. It's like, oh, my God, it is a dog. It is a dog. <laughs> and it's a dog wearing the cat, Captain Universe suit. Like, oh, God. Oh, have- and, and the drawing of it, you know, it makes me think of, of have you seen those memes of like if a dog, if a chicken wore pants, how would they wear pants? <laughs> you know, like and it, 
<laughs> the, the Captain Universe thing is like trying to apply the Captain Universe uh, uniform anatomy to yes. a dog is interesting. <laughs> like what what portions of the snout does it cover? Yeah, that 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 is that is cute though. That definitely is. Uh, that, and there's uh, other instances of it. I think uh, I for for those playing along at home, I, I I never read much of it, but you know how we have the zoo crew uh, in in DC Comics. Well, there's a sort of zoo crew equivalent uh, over in Marvel, kind of like the same way you get um, the the pig Spider Man. Peter Porker. Yeah, Peter Porker. Uh, there's a pig captain universe who is captain zoo universe so there's lots of plot times this concept has played been played with in sometimes cool and interesting ways like we talked about tonight other times just ridiculous ways like when a pig gets it or a dog (laughs) so i don't know man i i love it if you guys have enjoyed this episode, definitely let us know because we, we it probably won't stop us from doing more if you didn't, but <laughs> we might do more sooner if you really enjoyed it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's definitely because of the concept. It's it's cool to revisit. It's also cool because again, we have t- we have ties to it. Obviously, our tie t- our ties to it. You kind of talked about your real for your first entry into it and both of these issues were i was in on the ground floor because i got kept on micronauts number eight and then i happened to see this i don't think i i'm not necessarily sure if i knew it's possible they may have promoted this even if it was just you know like in the letters page or something of the micronauts as they were getting closer to rolling this out i certainly it's too long ago i was too young to consciously know remember if i knew this was this was coming out and i was and i was looking forward to it i just happened to see it you know, on the, on the rack. And it's like, Oh, Captain universe. I know what that is. I'm going to grab it. Uh, I think it was, I think it was cool. And I think it was a nice gateway to have it to go from Ray to Steve. And I think that was a cool connect to not only keep that connection to the, to the Micronauts, but also get the concept going that yes, it can be anyone as long as, as long as you're worthy in it in the right place at the right time, it's kind of like a combination that you can have this power. And so I thought, so it was cool. All right. Uh, do you mind if I mention something real quick? No, go for it. Well, actually, before you do that, let me just do this real quick, just because we had kind of talked about it. Going yeah. back to your issue of Captain Universe, for those that for those that care about the CBS Saturday morning uh, oh, car- yeah, I saw cartoon, cartoon lineup, yeah. <laughs> back in 1980 on September 6th, yeah. you could have watched at 8 a.m. The New Adventures of Mighty Mouse and Heckle and Jekyll. I don't 8- remember Heckle and Jekyll. I remember Mighty Mouse. Yeah, I remember Heckle and Jekyll. I don't remember this. I remember classic Heckle and Jekyll. Yeah. At eight thirty, they had the new Tom and Jerry comedy show. At nine a.m., you had the classic Bugs Bunny Roadrunner show, uh, which was long, with an hour and a half. Ten uh, thirty, you had the, the all-new Popeye Hour. At eleven thirty, you had Drack Pack, which I remember by the name, and I may have watched I, the the art. The animation looks somewhat familiar, so I may have tried it and probably didn't like it. Twelve noon, heaven forbid, the new Fat Albert show. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, I'm not going to make an easy Bill Cosby joke. Uh, <laughs> at 1230, we have the Tarzan Lone Ranger Adventure Hour, which must have been really, really reaching, considering that neither one of those characters were probably overly pop. I can almost see Lone Ranger being more popular because I even remember watching Lone Ranger, the old uh, Clayton Moore 
show when I was a kid. But I just I love that they, I just love that they paid for a two uh, a double page spread ad and didn't have enough content to interest kids, so they had to include that there's going to be 30 minutes of news, hard hard hitting news. <laughs> I know that, that might be for the older reader, Chad, because I swear to God, if, if none of these things hooked you before then, the, the 30 minutes of news at 1:30 was not going to seal the deal. I mean, with the exception of Heckle and Jekyll, obviously I mentioned. Uh, I'm familiar with all of these. Honestly, I don't think Drack Pack is a cartoon I've ever even heard of by name. I'm going to have to find like if YouTube has an episode or something somewhere because it, it the animation, the name, the logo, none of it looks familiar to me at all. And the name I know that looks familiar. I can vouch for the fact that I saw it. This could be one of those uh, like cognitive biases where I remembered the name and now I'm, in my mind's eye, I'm thinking, well, I must have watched some of it, but I, maybe I never did. Actually, I don't remember, honestly, as much as I remember, I don't know if I ever watched a lot of the CBS stuff. I mean, when I was a kid, I think I did watch, obviously, Bugs Bunny Roadrunner. But I'm thinking back at some of the things I did watch. A lot of stuff was ABC because I think Scooby-Doo was ABC. And Godzilla and Godzilla was NBC. The Godzilla animated show with Godzuki and stuff was NBC. Was that and the Up from the Depths? Yes, 30 yes, 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 And Godzuki. Godzuki. Yes. yes. Yeah. And... And I think Thunder the Barbarian was ABC, things like that. Yeah. So I don't really think I watched. What was Underdog? I don't know if it was. Any, I don't know if. I don't know if in, if that was on any of those in the morning because I'm trying to remember where that whole because remember Underdog. Well, I mean was, Underdog was 60s, uh, but I mean I know it was like syndicated for right. A long and I'm just trying to because so. we know that was part of the as we were talking about Klondike Cat and Sabwa Fair. Yeah, 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 yeah. Part yeah. of the same the same block of ca- characters in, but Peter was Peter Penguin part of that too. Yeah. Or I don't know. I, 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 all I know is my dad, apparently one of the ways his brothers used to tease him is they used to call one of his girlfriends a long time ago when he was a kid, they called her Snaggletooth or Snagglepuss or something like that. Snaggletooth would be worse. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Transition. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, not, not an easy transition, but I've told you guys time and time again, that be one of, one of the only benefits to nobody giving a shit about Green Lantern right now is that you should go to eBay and buy those older issues of Green Lantern you've always been after. Because while they may not be super cheap, they're cheaper than they've been in a long time. So pay attention to what's on eBay. I'm going to expand that. And I've I, I said that stuff before, knowing that I would tell people to go to eBay and obviously make uh, competition for myself. I was debating saying this is what I'm going to say tonight uh, for the same reason, making competition for myself. So I won't tell you what specific issues I'm after, but I recommend, if you're interested, going to eBay and buying the comic books that you really want. First appearances and stuff like that. Now, I have to say here, be creative because what, for instance, what I'm doing right now, guys, I'm buying up a lot of Silver Age first appearances, not first appearances in general, because like I'm not going to be able to afford Action Comics number one or All American Comics number 16 or any of that kind of stuff. So what if I just stick with what I can afford, what's easier in my price range? Maybe I can spend up to 100 bucks or 150, depends on what kind of money i have available something easier for me is silver age first appearances for instance guys i recently got the first silver age well what's recognized as the first silver age appearance 
of Martian Manhunter. I got that issue uh, the other day, and I am extremely uh, happy with it. Now, obviously, guys, this is this. I say this not as a, I'm not a speculator. I don't. I don't have the. I don't buy these with the intent of selling them. If someday my comics interest becomes less than it is now, if these are taking up space, if I'm in a tight spot and really need money or something, yeah, maybe I'll sell some of these. But I don't think these things are going to go down in value over time. This is a commodity I think worth investing in. Now, I'm not a financial planner. You Be an adult, do your research, do what you want with your money. But if you think about comics in the same way that why Golden Age comics are valuable, because there's so few of them left, there were book burnings, bannings, so on and so forth. It's rare to have a old golden age comic from the 1940s, which was disposable media, still intact. At some point, you would assume that comics from the 60s and 70s are going to be in the same boat several years down the line. There's going to be less and less of them as time goes on and people, you know, lose them to flood damage in their house or they didn't bag and board them right and they got sun damage or the cat got to it or, you know, whatever the hell. These books are just going to get older and older and over and brittler and brittler and brittler. I got today the first appearance of the Spectre in the Silver Age in the in the pages of Showcase number 60, 70 bucks. I got what's regarded by some as the first Silver Age appearance of Batman is Detective Comics 327. Today, 50 bucks. I got, speaking of our future lanterns, I got our the first appearance of Universo, as, as well as Ron Vidar, his son, for less than four bucks. The House of Mystery, number 143, first Silver Age appearance of Martian Manhunter, 60 bucks. Now, I know that may be a lot to some of you, may not be a lot to others. It doesn't really matter. For me, I enjoy these comics because... I'm an introverted person. I have problems with self-esteem, depression, blah, blah, blah. One of the few genuine joys I get out of life is when I go through my comic books and see stuff I really enjoy, especially older issues, regardless of whether they're keys or not. When I hold an old comic book in my hand and it's mine and I look at it and go, yes, I have this. A smile, a genuine smile comes across my face. I could be alone by myself. A smile hits my face because I have that comic. That's why I spend the money on these things. I'm telling you guys that there are some, I I, I don't know if there are as great of deals as, for instance, specific to older Green Lantern stuff, but there's some pretty damn good deals on eBay that you guys are straight up missing if you are interested in just buying other key issues or other favorite types of comics. Because some people don't know what they're selling. Uh, Some people will accept crazy offers, so on and so forth. Like, just pay, go on eBay and don't just pay attention to Green Lantern. If you have other interests, just do a search and start watching those items. Double check, obviously, the seller's reputation, what their ratings are. Double check, make sure you look very closely at the photos and read the description very carefully and so on and so forth. As always, practice good at eBay shopping practices and buyer beware. But, I mean, you can you can get some ridiculously great issues for not as much as you would think. 
such comics would go for. I the, the keys that I have gotten are insane. The best, you know, one of the bigger ones I got for you, I, I've told you guys about, I got Green Lantern 30, which is the first appearance of Cat Matui. It's got the pterodactyls on the cover, less than 30 bucks. Green Lantern number 16, the first star sapphire, Carol Ferris, less than 100 bucks. Um, the Swamp Thing number two, first appearance of Anton Arcane, 60 bucks. The first. Silver Age publication by DC Comics of the Blackhawk property, 80 bucks. 50 bucks for Showcase 80, the first appearance of the, in the Silver Age of the Phantom Stranger. Like some of these, if you want more modern stuff, Batman 436, first appearance of Tim Drake, $10. Batman 475, first appearance of Renee Montoya, who later becomes the question. 12 bucks. If you know what you're doing, if you're paying attention, it's literally all you have to do is pay attention. Some of the stuff that you're after, you're going to get right now. I think eBay right now for comic book collectors, especially not if you're intending to flip them, if you just want them, check eBay because I am getting some crazy good deals out there. And honestly, it brings genuine joy to me and I want it to bring genuine joy to you guys. So I'm just giving you that advice. It may be something a lot of you already know about. It may not be news to any of you. Most of you may not care, but for that one person out there who does, who's always wanted a key comic or a key collectible or something they've always wanted in their collection. I'm telling you pay attention to eBay. It is true for a lot of things. We've been looking at eBay quite a lot lately for different, for different things we, during our, we were looking at it for our uh, white lantern Funko soda, Hal potentially. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> Unfortunately, we were, that's going for crazy. I know. I, I'm not spending $80 on it. No, thing. you'd be, like you said, like we talked about, you'd be, if they still had them available. You'd be better off just getting the case and then just trying to figure out what to do with the other, with the other green Hal's you didn't need. Cause at least this way, you'd know you'd get one one white how um they, it is, yeah, it, i mean and, and you and you mentioned it, it's it's the, the 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 greatest example for instance guys i found you know guys I, I talk about my nephew quite a lot dean i've got a niece uh, river now dean's not old enough to play with this but when the movie came out the green lantern movie they had a lot of merchandise right well one of them was a hot wheels energy track set i found that still sealed on ebay for less than 20 bucks I picked it up. It is in my house. When he's of age, guess what I'm wrapping up as a present to him? <laughs> Micronauts number eight. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. And that didn't I, I told you that I got that Mattel uh, limited Green Lantern movie figure. Like they made 200, the 2008. Yes, yes, the one that came with the battery thing. The, yeah. the logo shaped thing. Yeah. yeah for I, I I got that for less than it originally sold for. It was it was like a twenty five dollar thing, right? When when it was launched for pre order. I think that sounds about right. Yeah, because I remember buying one. And I obviously took mine out of the case, but I got one still intact with the ring in it and everything for twelve bucks. So like, I'm telling you guys, pay attention to shit on eBay. Uh, this isn't a Chad just discovered eBay thing. Like this is a eBay is good right now. Pay attention. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> never never hurts to go check out eBay. Oh, uh, you know those I, I've, sh- I've sent you pictures of my Blu-ray collection, right? Like in those in, in those wall-mounted like six cube things. Yeah, I believe so. 
those six cube things are made by Closet Made, and they still sell the white one or whatever on Amazon and stuff. But that specific color, that espresso color, they don't make anymore. So if you find it on like Amazon or whatever, people are selling it for like 150, 200 bucks or something like that. I found a seller on eBay who was selling it for 50 bucks. <laughs> so I was able to get another one because my Blu-ray collection is such that I need another wall-mounted shelf. I got it. It was damaged in that all the pieces were there except one of the walls that you needed to make all six cubes. I told the seller. He didn't even write me back. He just straight up refunded me all of my money. So I was like, okay, great. I just took it out of the box and built it anyways. Guess what? It's as sturdy as the as if it w- had all the pieces. So I used it. And I have a shelf on my wall. <laughs> That's what I wanted. Uh, maybe slightly different. And I technically didn't spend a thing. <laughs> oh, Chad. <laughs> I didn't scam anybody, guys. Like, it, I just, it really was missing a piece. And I told the guy. And I was like, well, before I throw this away, let me just try it. And it just happened to work out. (laughs) So people want to learn about scamming people on eBay. (laughs) Uh, No. Uh, How do do people reach out to us? Especially if they want to hear, uh, tell us they want to hear more about Captain Universe. And after tonight, they probably won't. But (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. We talk with passion about something. I think that's that's more than enough. I would like to think so. but one never knows. Uh, we we saw at the Oscars where passions can take you. Oh God! <laughs> Next week's episode, the spotlight on Will Smith has been canceled. So lanterncast.com, lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag GLCast to track us down. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, whichever platforms you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. Last but not least, if you'd like to text us or leave us a voicemail, seven zero eight Lantern. 708 Lantern, and let us know what you think. As we leave this, Moon Knight is out. Morbius is about to come out. The reviews are horrible, so we'll have to see how what that means. But based on early critic yeah. reviews, Morbius is, is not looking promising. Don't expect a Morbius-dedicated episode is all we'll say. Well, you have to go see it in a timely fashion yeah. for that to happen, but you, you may... You may be correct anyway. It may not be something. Yeah, we might just talk about it on the air. Yes, it may be. It probably, yeah, it'll probably be a segment. Or as often with us, we could, it could end up being a whole episode because it was supposed to be a 30 minute segment that we just ramble on for an hour and then it becomes its own episode. (laughs) But who knows? All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.